You are now inside Japan. Are you currently working in Japan or want to be in the future? This is the show for you. Interviews with employers, foreigners doing interesting things, job hunting and hopping strategies, and a lot more. And now, your host, James. James here coming to you with episode number two of the Inside Japan podcast. Powered by jobsinjapan.com. Thanks for coming in again. I want to say thanks to everyone out there that episode one of the new show, the new ALT Insider Podcast, which is the Inside Japan Podcast. I got to say thanks for the great feedback I got from the change last week. Uh, the ratings on iTunes, they really do help a lot. So, really want to say thanks to those people that, made, that took the time to do that for sure. This week, one of my favorite kind of episodes, my favorite kind of stories to tell are these kind of episodes where someone came to Japan, like a lot of people do. He started an Aikaiwa teaching to kind of, you know, be in Japan. And he learned quickly that wasn't for him. And uh, he made a career not in teaching by hard work and by studying Japanese. It was always the key to everything.、Um, it sounds easy, right? But so many people don't or can't make the jump that Adam from Housing Japan, I interviewed today, made happen, right? So, you know, not everyone can take the same exact path as, as Adam took, but there's millions of paths out there to take if you just put in the work. And I like to show out, showcase the, the situations, the. Experiences and the successes of people that do make it happen. So, hopefully, if this is something you want to do, if you don't want to be a teacher forever, you can also make it happen for yourself. Okay. So, without further ado, let's get to it. Adam, Aikawa teaching to real estate. Enjoy. All right, cool, guys. Today, I have a very special guest. His name is Adam, and he is working for Housing Japan. How are you doing today, Adam? Wonderful. Thanks for having me. Sure. So, first, I'd like to start with what exactly are you doing in Japan for your、uh, profession right now? It, right now, what I'm doing is I'm vice president of business development at Housing Japan. It's a central Tokyo residential real estate agency focusing on sales and purchase, leasing, property management, and property development. And vice president of business development basically means identify new business opportunities, no, no matter where they are in the spectrum of residential real estate. And if the company decides this is a good idea, successfully implement the idea into a working business line. Cool. Yeah, so that sounds like an、uh, interesting job for sure. I want to get into more of that for sure. But let's go back to your roots here.、Um, I don't believe you probably started your career in Japan with that job. So, what kind of got you interested in working in Japan? What kind of got you here in the first place? I, I came as an English teacher.、Um, it wasn't through,、uh, it wasn't an ALT position. It was a private English school. It's no longer around, but I'm sure if, if you've been around for a long time, you might remember Aikaiwa、e- e- Geos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I worked there too, actually. Ah, <laughs>、uh, did you? Where, where did you work? I worked in Fukuoka. Okay, I, I worked in Kudanshita originally, and、uh, I'm originally from Toronto. And I was lucky enough, after I graduated university, I knew I wanted to come to Asia. And originally, I was trying for jobs in Korea because I heard that Japan was a lot more stringent in who they hired. And,、uh, but then I found、uh, in a Toronto newspaper an advertisement for that company,、uh, and they had a local hiring office in Toronto at the time. Uh, applied, went through the interview process, got the job, and then came to Japan. And, and I remember when I was in Toronto, I, they, they asked me, I said, Did you, Do you have any particular location that you want to be in Japan?、Um, and I said, No, I wanted it to be an adventure. So put me anywhere you want. It could be fine.、Uh, anything's fine.、Um, and it happened to be the geographic center of Tokyo. So if you, Kudanshita is right outside where the Budokan is. Wow, wow. So if you're. If you're going to go to the Budokan or if you're going to want to go see the Emperor's Palace, then it's Kudansha Station that you get out at. <laughs> wow. Yes, that's kind of, you're excited, I guess. 
I, at the time I was kind of just like everybody else, really, I was kind of floating through. I was, I was, I had just graduated university. So this is all kind of a brand new experience. I'd traveled overseas before the uh, backpacking, but you know, this is you know a year of working and, and et cetera, et cetera. So the original plan was, was to come to Japan, teach for a year and then move on to some other country, teach for a year, move on to some other country, do that for a while. Um, then go back to Canada, grow up and get a real job. But that was 15 years ago now. Still haven't left. Yeah, yeah. So then, I mean, how did it? How did you kind of? How did you find GL? I guess I know it's going there, but how did you find the Akaiwa uh, teaching job? I thought it was okay. Um, I didn't have any. I didn't have any big complaints about it. I mean, the company did everything they said they would do. Um, I mean, it's Akaiwa was good, um, and I was kind of. Well, I don't know if it's in hindsight if it was luck or not. Uh, because Kudansha is a business district, there wasn't, there wasn't any kids classes. Mm. Um, I did have, I did have one kids class and they were sisters and they were angels. So that was fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, but mainly it was, it was business people. Um, and it was okay. I mean, it was, it was interesting because the, the, I had arrived at that school right when the ward of Chioda or the Chioda ward had outlawed putting flags out on the sidewalk, which means that it was really difficult to advertise for new students to, to come in. Um, we were on the second, no, we were on the fourth floor, if I remember correctly. And, and it wasn't a first floor area. So it was really hard for, they had an existing student base, but it was really hard to get new students. Um, so what I ended, what ended up happening was that I'd have big blocks in between classes. Um, and so I basically have lots of time to study Japanese. So as you said you wanted, your goal was to go to this country to country, teach in English for a year and go back. But so when did that kind of thinking change or what caused that thinking to change? Tokyo, really. Um, it's the biggest city in the world. There's always something going on. Um, and yeah, it was just so much of it. Like I, I'm from a small town in Canada, about an hour west of Toronto called St. George. It's a town of about 2000 people. So moving here to, you know, the, the greater, to the, the exact center of the greater Tokyo area, which is 35 million people. Uh, that was a bit of a culture shock. <laughs> Actually, that was quite a culture shock. Um, but once I got used to it, then it was kind of like, you know, grew up in the country and like here, live in the big city life, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, one year turned into three, turned into six. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, they say, if you've been here for two, you'll be here for five. If you're here for five, you'll be here for 10. If you're here for 10, you're here for life. And, and that's, that's just kind of how it happened. I mean, yeah, you get, you get, you get your head into stuff that you like doing and then time just flies. Yeah. You, you said you've uh, felt some culture shock here. So do you have any kind of, what kind of was tough about it for you when you first got here? Did you have any homesickness or anything like that? Or did you just want to, you ever have feelings of, I, I want to go back. I can't do this. Oh, a big time. As soon as I arrived, the, um, one was the, the space issue. I mean, I grew up, I grew up on a farm, um, and grew up in farm country basically so you had loads of space around you we're here there's somebody within the close proximity all the time mm. walking down the street you're in the trains you know that 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 proximity issue was a very tangible hurdle for me to get used to okay. um and ironically I, I just came back from canada uh a couple of weeks ago and the um when I, now it's kind of the reverse. So when I get out of the airport at Toronto and then we're driving down the highway, it takes me a good hour or two just to look at the, the space that's there. Um, how big things are like, you know, an eight lane highway. Oh my God. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So then, you know, now you're, you're rocking and rolling in Japan for a while now, three, three years turns into a few more and stuff like that. So how do you make the jump from English teaching to not English teaching though? How, what kind of, what was your Japanese level? All that kind of stuff. So good, good question. So what I had done, I was an Eikaiwa teacher, um, 
four geos in the their no in the Kudanshta branch they had. Um, but then I wanted to, and because I had all this time to study Japanese, then between classes, uh, I did. And but then I, I quickly realized, you know, I want to get I want to get into something else. And but my Japanese wasn't good enough. And there was a position that opened up in head office, uh, which was being the HR coordinator for East Japan for business classes, uh, which is another type of English teaching. If, you know, if you're a teacher teaching business classes, then you're freelance at 4,000 or 5,000 yen an hour um, going into companies uh, and, do, you know, teaching there for two hours at a time, you know, once or twice a week. So it was these types of contracts that this specific division of Geos was selling, uh, and they needed uh, a native speaker to kind of manage all the teachers to to coordinate and work well with the contracts that the salespeople were going and selling. And it was a great division, and and there was an opening that came up there, and and I applied for it, went, and then so I moved from the Aikawa branch to the head office, and kind of gained some HR skills and HR management skills that way. And so I, I had kind of stepped away from teaching at that point, um, but managing other teachers. And then so I did that for a couple of years. And then what happened was I wanted to become a salesperson. My Japanese was getting to the point where my coworkers were speaking to me in Japanese. That's a good sign. <laughs> that takes time. <laughs> well, for, well, it, it, it is. And actually, the the as a little sidebar, if you're studying Japanese, your big barometer, if you're studying Japanese in Japan, your big barometer of your language proficiency will be from a practical individual perspective. Um, when you try and speak Japanese, the other person will speak Japanese back to you. Yeah. yeah. So if if when when you're studying Japanese, there's a lot of stop, start, stuttering kind of a thing. And if the other party sees that you're having trouble, the Japanese person sees you're having trouble with Japanese they will attempt to speak English to you mm-hmm. to it, it's kind of an empathetic thing. So they, they see you're having trouble. So they try and speak to you in Japanese, in English, um, but they can't speak English either. So you got two people with languages switched. You can't, the social interaction goes south immediately. Yeah. Yeah. And some people get upset about it, that. They think like, it's like, Oh, I can, sp- I'm speaking to you Japanese. Right. But you're not speaking to me, but it's not, if, if you spoke perfect Japanese, they, they usually come back with Japanese. Right. It, it doesn't have to be perfect, but it definitely has to be confident. Mm. Um, if if you and and exactly and you talk about getting angry or upset, I th- that was me. <laughs> so I w- I would I wouldn't freak out on anybody, but I would definitely I definitely adopted the attitude of exactly how you just said. I'm trying to speak Japanese to you. Why don't you understand your own language? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That happens. In in retrospect, it was probably me butchering their language, uh-huh. but because you need to practice and have that kind of you know huge mentality of or that rock solid mentality to get you to, you know, to, to get you to keep speaking Japanese, right? Because it, it can be if the other person, if you're trying to speak English, or if you're trying to speak Japanese, sorry, um, and you don't know how, I mean, I, I was very self conscious of it. Um, I can very much empathize with Japanese people speaking English, uh, how self conscious you get about it. I felt the same way too. But in order to improve, you just needed like this, this level of like you like, like you described, like, you know, I'm speaking Japanese to you. Why don't you understand? Yeah, you got it. You got it. The key is to not get angry, right? I think that's the key. It's awesome to have that that stance where I'm speaking Japanese and that's it. But you got to kind of it's, it's tough, though. I remember I was in that same boat, too, a few years ago. I mean, not more than a few years ago now, five years ago. Or so I was I would get really feel it get hot inside. You know, God, I'm speaking Japanese. I think it's good. Why don't they speak back to me in Japanese? You know, but you just got to get over it, you know, uh, completely, completely. Um, and so then I, my, my level was at the point there where my coworkers are actually speaking Japanese to me, too. 
so then it was, it, then I wanted to become not an HR person, but I wanted to get into sales to further improve my skills. And unfortunately, Geos at the time, well, even up until its demise, the, the company is no longer around anymore. But then they had they had this policy that no foreign people were salespeople. Mm. And, and, and what a salesperson involved was, you know, creating your own leads, making your own appointments, going out there, selling the product uh, of English classes to, you know, large Japanese companies, uh, securing a contract for them and, and securing revenue for the company. Um, and at, at the time they said, yeah, there's no there's no foreign people can't be um, salespeople. So I thought about it and then I said, OK, well, then I quit. So I put in my notice. Um and Geos at the time needed a four month notice period. Mm-hmm. So that was a look in hindsight, that was a bit of a detrimental thing. <laughs> um, four months notice, you can't have a new job lined up before you put in your notice. So you're basically rolling the dice that you're putting in your notice. And two months later, when you start looking for jobs in earnest, that you'll be able to find something that you like. Yeah, I want to know about ask about that. So, you know, quitting obviously is, it kind of gives you a deadline, right? I got to find a job for then. Did you have any leads out of, of any kind or did you say I'm I'm just going to find something? No, no leads whatsoever. It's just, yeah, I'm going to find something. Mm-hmm. In in it was a pretty it was a pretty gutsy move at the time. Um I don't know if I'd do that again, but I did it at the time. <laughs> yeah. The and then it got into and so then I was, you know, fairly confident for the first month, the second month. And then I got into the third month and I still hadn't found anything. And I thought, oh, OK, now it wasn't panicking, but definitely the tension, you know, eked up a bit day by day. How about in terms of visa? Are you still on GLS visa? Because I know people ask about that kind of stuff. It's kind of in between jobs, period. The in between jobs. Well, I was still working for Geos. Oh, OK. okay. During in, that, in that period. For, yeah. for, for that whole four months. And then I think I had a month of holiday time that was stacked up. So the fourth month I ended up. Oh, no, what did I do? No, no, I worked right up until the end. And then when I started my new job, I actually then had two paychecks for a month. Oh, okay, nice. With the ho- when, the, when the holiday time was, when the holiday time from Geos to, to let that run out. Nice, okay. So how did you kind of go about, what, what kind of methods were you using to uh, to find your job? Was it just on- online going or your, your contacts, your networking skills? How were you doing that? Online, online. At the time, I was kind of trapped in this English teacher bubble um, mm-hmm. where if I want to get away from English teaching, the last place I'm going to find a job I thought was with other English teachers because mm-hmm. they're everyone's still teaching English. I need more contacts outside of that sphere yeah. um, to see what was going on. So at the time I had none. So which left online, that was the only, that was the only, the only way to go. Um, applied to a bunch of different jobs, translation, um, digital ad sales, uh, a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, consulting, um, recruitment. Mm-hmm. I applied there. Um, and got interviews for everything, really. Uh, and, but there was this one place that I kind of really, really liked. Um, I don't want to say the company name; they still exist and they're yeah. quite popular. But there was one place I really, there was one place I really kind of wanted to work. I thought the guys were pretty cool, and uh, went through three rounds of interviews with them, and then they said no. And but then a couple of days later, and I was pretty down about that. The, a couple of days later, though, the owner of that company had called me uh, personally. And said, we've got this other real estate opportunity that we wouldn't mind talking to you about. It's still early stages, but if you haven't found a job yet, um, give me a call back. And so I did. And what that was, was it was an internet-based operation to help foreign people lease apartments in Tokyo. Okay. And I had no real estate experience at the time, but I I, I wanted to learn about real estate. Um, And so I said yes. 
and that and jumped headfirst into something that I had no idea how to do. Um, and in hindsight, you know, the guys I was working for, it's not that they had much better of an idea of how to do it either, but you know, it was, <laughs> it was, it, it was a very good experience and that's how I got into real estate. Oh, cool. So then, you know, so you, you looking back then, I guess you're, the reason you got hired was your good, your, your qualifications and your interview skills, I guess. I was, uh, confident, um, pretty confident. I knew my Japanese was, was really good. I knew my Japanese was really good. And I knew that despite the lack of sales experience, uh, the Japanese level would definitely, uh, make people would open the door for the interview for me. You know, Japanese is the key to this country. If you want to do anything of any significance, there's some people out there who, you know, start businesses and, and own businesses that can't speak a lick of Japanese. Um, but you know, it's, you're better off with Japanese ability than without if you're going to spend an extended period of time in the country. And I guess not to derail the career track uh, story we're on, but I want to know uh, any tips for people to learn Japanese. If you, you said you're good, so what kind of did you do? Any kind of str- methods you use that are you know worth worth sharing or just normal stuff? If you're living in Japan, um, there's absolutely no reason why you need to go to a Japanese school. If you come here from overseas, like specifically to, to do a six month stint at a Japanese school, then, you know, great, fine, do it. Uh, but you're, if you're living here already, there's no reason why you should go to a Japanese school. Um, I went for a little bit and I thought, OK, this is not for me because the Japanese way of teaching, or at least the, at that school and from the from, you know, the stories I've heard from other people who went, if you're trying to say something in Japanese, the the the, the sensei will jump on every little mistake and correct you as you make it. So if you're trying to say like somewhat of a medium length sentence, by the time you get to the end of that sentence, you can't remember what you were trying to talk about in the first place because the the teachers jumped all over you and and said, you know, you shouldn't say, you know, and corrected you all along the way. Um, And I thought, and at the time being an English teacher myself, the, the, it drove me nuts as as an English instructor when students would kind of, you know, start their sentences and then kind of look at the ceiling and cock their head a little bit, say two more words and then do that again. And it was really just jarring um, for, for, but I can see where they, where Japanese students get that from. I think it's their teaching methodology that just, you know, makes, you know, you must say it perfect once or don't say anything at all type mentality, which for language is absolute death. Uh, you're not, you're not going to increase any fluency. Um, within that type of environment. So basically I wanted to get away. I got away from that and I got away from that. Um, and I went into a local bar around my house at the time, uh, Japanese only kind of looked like a cool place. It was, I'll, I'll, I, I can still remember it. It's called Cobra. And the, it was this Rastafarian, the Japanese guys ran it, but it was this Rastafarian trying to Bob Marley. And, uh, you know, the, I remember when I was walking, when I stood outside, I was like, I was really, really scared. I was really, really scared. I think I stood outside of the door for like 20 minutes, like, you know, with my backpack and, you know, do I do this? Do I not? I'm so scared. Oh my God. And finally I just opened the door and I don't know what I was so scared about. There was nobody else in the bar. It was a tiny little place. And then the guy behind the bar, the Japanese dude, he was pretty cool looking. He had these big long dreads and then, and he's like, yeah, and I walked in, sat down, had a drink and I, I the, I, and I dove right into it. The, um, he couldn't speak a lick of English, did no interest in trying out his English. Um, and I had no idea what was being said 
but I just kept saying, hi, 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 so disney, so disney, kind of playing along with the conversation until, you know, and over time, you know, you'd pick up words and, and you'd start having, you know, having basic, basic conversations with people. Right. And once I got to a certain point, then the other thing that helped that really helped, I mean, it really took, you know, levels, you know, from level one to a hundred, um, I started reading manga and I have no, in, I, I have, I still don't, I have no interest in, in manga, um, or comic books. I mean, I did when I was a kid back home, you know, the Marvel comics, the DC comics. Um, but you know, at the, even now and then, then and now I still don't have any, you know, particular affiliation to any type of storyline. Uh, but I started picking up manga because uh, I wanted to read and I realized that what I'm telling my English, what I'm telling my English language students actually applies to me as well if I'm learning Japanese. So I had read somewhere and I can't remember where. I think I bought a book from the bookstore about linguistics or something. And then I read it and I said, your, your, your passive language intake is much, much more active than your active or is much more, uh, is, is much greater than your active language output. Uh, active language output being speaking and writing, you know, language you make. Um, passive is listening and reading. And if you think about that, that's actually true. I mean, you walk around all day listening to a podcast like this, for example. Uh, you see language on advertising everywhere. Um, there's language. If you you can't get away from the language, it's there. It's always there. Um, so I realized if I didn't start reading, then my vocabulary wouldn't go up. I wouldn't really get a deep, deep understanding of grammar. And, um, I needed something with pictures written in a way that people speak rather than the exact, the exact correct way that people speak like language textbooks teach that all pointed to manga. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it's a strategy, a strategical choice to choose manga, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then, so I picked up a manga and, and it was written the first one. I can't remember the name of it, but it was, um, written by the same guy who did, who wrote Golgo 13. And, but this was a much lesser known manga for this guy. Um, but it had Fudigana. It had the, it had the Hiragana above the kanji. So even if I didn't know what the kanji was, I could still look it up, um, in the electronic dictionaries. This is, this is the age before iPhones. So back then the only digital dictionary that you had was remember those electric, uh, dictionaries that you'd just be able to type in the word and it would come right up on the screen. And, and yeah, th now you got an iPhone with Google translate that can do the exact same thing. But back then that was key to everything. Um, so the, the, the hiragana allowed you, even if you didn't know what the kanji was to at least look up the word or at least say the word. Right. Um, and so, yeah. And I read through all 12 volumes of this comic book, kind of got into the story, wanted to find out what happened next. Um, and then by the end of it, then, yeah, there was a noticeable jump in, in what I could do in Japanese. So in the, and the other thing too, was manga's cheap. It's dirt cheap compared to like English textbooks. You go to, you go to, um, teach yourself how to, uh, hiragana and katakana. And then you can walk into the local used bookstore and buy this stuff for a hundred yen, 200 yen, you know? Mm -hmm. So definitely a strategic decision. So that's the so reading manga and talking to people, I guess is the good uh, outline of your strategy then. Exactly. Now, the one thing that I am weak on and I, and I couldn't do this to save my life is if I had to handwrite something, um, then to save my life, then it's over. So that would, <laughs> okay. handwriting slows it down. Handwriting 
like learning how to how to write kanji, uh, it, it really slows down um, your learning. And all I really wanted to do was be able to speak. If I could type, then I was happy. Yeah, yeah. There's no way to. There's no speed. Uh, you know, speed course to learning how to write kanji, right? Just it's time and time and time. There's no way uh, to make it faster, really. <laughs> None. Okay, right, so let's no. let's get back on the uh, on the career path here. So now you're working at this real estate company, and so somehow that led you to housing Japan, right? Yes, that's correct. Um, it long convoluted way, and then but the the real estate company then uh, that was leasing brokerage. Uh, so then it wasn't property management. Um, this was, I, you know, you would tell me you're looking for an apartment. I would go out into the wild basically and see what Japanese property managers had available, call them up, organize viewings. Uh, if the, if you, the client liked the property, then I would negotiate on your behalf to the Japanese landlord to secure you the lease. Okay. And that was quite a big jump <laughs> from working at geos in, into that environment. Oh yeah, that's. I mean, that, that now you're now you're in the in 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 the thick of it, right? Now you're really using Japanese for real, right? Like you know, and that, that's pretty that's pretty big jump, right? I'm sure that increased your skills a lot too. Yes, and I remember it was it was not an easy jump because up until that point, all the Japanese people I knew would put up with my Japanese, which I thought was good at the time, uh, until I got into this job when I had to call up other busy Japanese people who are under the pump who have to make money for their own companies. Uh, and I remember my very first phone call to see if a place was still available. Um, the guy on the other end of the phone hung up. So he just, he just, <laughs> yeah. he just hung up. He says, I can't understand you. And he just, he just hung up. So I sat there at my desk mortified for 10 minutes. Um, but then just decided, all right, you know what? I'm going to do this again. So I picked up the phone, gave it another try. Um, somebody else answered the phone on the other, on, for, from that company who was a little bit nicer. And I got through the phone call. So. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So that's, yeah. On the phone is a whole different world too. As, as anyone that learns languages know on the phone is a, uh, you gotta, it's just in, intense listening and people use, you know, casual language and short language. So yeah, I'm sure that's uh that's definitely good for your skills, but definitely scary too. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to go about that. Is there any kind of, did you have, you know, people say that all the time, right? Uh, people, landlords don't like foreigners. They don't want to have foreigners in there. It happens, right? Uh, did you have any experience with that when you, people talk to you and say, okay, I don't want to talk to you anymore. We don't deal with foreigners or anything like that. One thing that um, was an inadvertent benefit for me helping me as a foreigner helping other foreigners secure leases was my Japanese accent. Mm -hmm. So the I would call up and ask if a place is still available and if I can see it. And the property manager on the other side would say, yeah, it's still available. Tell me more about your client. Um, and I'd say, OK, it's a foreigner. Um but, you know, he's, you know, from this country, works for this company, blah, 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 blah. And usually then they would be okay with it. So 99% of actually, 99% of places are okay to renting to foreigners. The places that say no foreigners allowed are usually dumps. Places that are owned by the Yakuza, which you don't want to be in the, anywhere involved with anyway, um, or a combination of the above. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times, though, um, it was much more a language issue for the property manager rather than straight up racism. The, mm, okay. it was, it was because if you're a property manager, you're somewhat responsible for the people living in your place. The fire alarm goes off at two in the morning and somebody's, you know, banging on the door, yelling at you in Japanese to get out the fire. There's a fire there's a, and you can't understand them and you stay in there. And then something, you know, the unfortunate happens then uh, to a certain extent, the property manager is at fault as well. So, uh, so 99% of the time it had nothing to do with being a foreigner, but by ex it, it had nothing to do with being a foreigner in and of itself. It was as an extension of being a foreigner. Can this person who wants to live here speak Japanese? Um, and 
99% of the time, as long as you said, you know, as long as I said on behalf of my client to the property manager, like, you know, Nichijou Kaiwa wa dekiru, meaning he can, you know, daily conversation, he can understand, he or she can understand. Then that was enough. That was enough for people to say, okay, as long as, as long as the, um, applicant made enough money to be able to afford to live to be able to afford to live in the apartment yeah okay so i guess your advice would be then get your japanese skills up and you'll have more doors open if you're having if you're falling into that kind of it's people declining you for their apartments right and find and find a um foreign speaking uh agent because if i was in because what happens well i mean there's lots of other agencies out there too um, who have foreign, who have foreign people working for them. And we only work in central Tokyo, but the, um, if you say you're down at Fukuoka, for example, that sort of thing, if you're in Osaka, then because what, if, if, if a native Japanese person is helping you trying to lease an apartment, then what they'll do when they call originally to see if the property is still available is that they'll, they'll explain to the property manager at that point, well, my client, uh, they're a foreigner. And, you know, do you accept foreigners? The, your agent will basically ask the property manager, who's the counterparty in this play, in this, in this, uh, setup, you know, will you accept a for a foreign client? If at that point before the viewing has actually even happened, you, your agent gives the other side, the property manager, a reason to say no, then of course they'll say, Oh, I don't know. It might be difficult. Okay, fine. And then thank you. And they hang up. And I've, mm. and I've been in my competitor's offices to pick up keys or do, or do whatever. And they have their, a foreign client sitting there with a native Japanese person there calling around in front of their foreign client saying in Japanese, asking these property managers if they'll accept a foreign client. Um, and they all say no. And it, it rather, and the re, so find a foreign speaking person who doesn't ask or a foreign person who speaks Japanese who doesn't ask the property manager first, you know, you know, will you will you accept this? Will you accept an application from this big scary foreigner? Yes or no? Even before the viewing happens, just get the foreign person to to set up a viewing. Mm, that makes sense. You know, yeah, so just, just get 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 past that point. Don't even it's not even an issue. And then get to the part about you're talking about the apartment, viewing the apartment, and then they'll find out you're a foreigner down the road. You know. Yeah, exactly. And then by the time you're there, I mean, you know, by the time you're at that point, then you, you might not even like the apartment, which yeah, is true. what I thought. <laughs> So like this, this apartment that, you know, you know, you no longer can see because your agent just shot you in the foot. Um, it's, it, to me, in my mind, it was really counterproductive because you, the client might not like the apartment. So Mm -hmm. why, so why is everybody making a big deal about the client, the, the applicant being a foreigner in the first place, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, how about another thing I want to ask someone in the real estate business and apartments and stuff like that? Um, you know, what's kind of the standard in your in your experience for in terms of like a tamaki and reiki and stuff like that? People always bitch about that and say Japan is, you know, mm-hmm. very expensive on that side of things. Is what's what's kind of your what's the average percentage or something we should look for to, to know some people are worried about being scanned and that kind of stuff. So what what can you help tell us about that? It the standard rate for anything that's under a hundred thousand yen and under um is two months deposit, two months key money. And okay. then on top of that, you have an agency fee. Um, and the agency fee is paid not to the landlord. It's paid to the, your broker, the person you're talking to, um, who's helping you secure, secure the unit. Um, mm-hmm. the, and you can try and negotiate that on the application form. You basically write in what you're willing to offer for the prop for the property. Um, but 
you know, if you can say zero key money and try and apply with zero key money, because key money is non-refundable. It, it's basically a gift to the the property that your agent will tell you it's it's a gift to the landlord. It's actually to pay the property manager um, mm. of the property. So then anyway, you can you can write in on the application form what you're willing your con your desired contract fees and what rent you're willing to pay. Um, whether they accept the application or not, it's a different story. And it's very, very difficult for 100,000 yen and under properties to do wild negotiations. The reason is there's lots of Japanese people in that budget range as well who are willing to pay uh, what the property manager is asking for. So yeah. it, why would and – it, and it becomes a purely business decision. A lot of people a lot of people mistake this and they play the racism card, which just isn't the truth. If If, if you, the foreign person, are not willing to pay, for example, key money, but you've got three other Japanese applications uh, who are willing to pay, then I, as the landlord and property manager, which one am I going to go with? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The one who's going to pay me the not. most, right? So that's... <laughs> yeah, it's not... Yeah, true. Um, so, <laughs> what other... Go ahead, go ahead. Well, and, and, and I think this... After working in the industry for more than a decade, um, I, I often see the racism card just played way too way too often and way too loud and way too quick um oh yeah and and it's not it's not that it's you know it's either your broker was bad or the offer that you put in was no good um or you're in the middle of the countryside where this does happen in the middle of the countryside um where you've got you know it's a bit backwards in the in rural areas but if you're in a metropolitan area and not just Tokyo, but Osaka or Fukuoka or, you know, anywhere, Sapporo. Um, yeah, I mean, 90, 90% of the cases of why you didn't get um, accepted came down to that, you know, I've got one person who I think might be a little more trickier than everybody else uh, who's applying for this, then I'm going to go with the, the path of least resistance. It's just often the case of convenience, right? Um, I can choose from a Japanese person or a foreign person that might not understand me. So you might choose the Japanese person, right? Exactly. And then the other and, and put yourself, it, it takes a bit of empathy to do this, but imagine you were back home in your home country and, you know, a Vietnamese speaking uh, family only applied to be in your apartment and you don't understand Vietnamese. They don't understand the contracts. They don't understand anything. Um, you know, which would you choose? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so I guess the, the to. Get past that though. Your answer, you, your recommendation is to use a broker, right? Because I can kind of get past that hurdle in all, in not all situations, but in a lot of situations, right? Uh, yeah, very much so. Um, the the broker can do that. Now, there's good and bad brokers. I'm not I'm not advocating that all brokers are you know sent from heaven. Um, the there's good and bad ones, but um, I would recommend if you could find a Japanese speaking foreign broker, um, then then th that's your best way to that's your best way to go. Okay, I guess the put a bow on that one uh you mentioned in the, in the countryside it's a little bit different so you know there's a lot of people that have to live in the countryside for a lot of teaching jobs in the countryside right so what do you advise they do because they might not be able to get a broker right and they're in the countryside japanese okay yeah i mean Jap <laughs> japanese is japanese is the only answer and i, I okay, okay. even if you're living in the city you know study japanese i mean if you've been here for three to five to six or however long you've been here and, and you and you still can't speak well enough Japanese to handle yourself in, in most situations um, it's time to get cracking in my opinion um, yeah the it's time to get cracking get hit the books basically
yeah if you're serious about living in japan if you're gonna come for a year and have fun that's a different story but yeah if you want to be here for that for a longer period of time i mean it's just on you um what i want to ask you about is um how about like company housing? Do you deal with anything like that? Uh, you know, like you, if I work for, for example, Geos, then I got to stay in the Geos apartments. Do you ever work with anything like that? No. And uh, because the very good, very good, very good uh, that you say that. One of the reasons I chose Geos was because they would way back when I was interviewing in Toronto was that they had the apartment all set up uh, for me, um, all mm-hmm. furnished and everything. Now, this was definitely by mean, no means a palace, um, but it was a roof over my head that I didn't have to go look for myself. Um, what happened though was, uh, at the time they were taking 80,000 yen off my paycheck, uh, to pay for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then fast forward to when I make the jump to real estate and I start being able to find my own information and I start being able to read, um, advertising, real estate advertising a lot better. I, I realized that the original rent was half of that. It was 40,000 yen. So those places, a lot of times that offer company housing, uh, what they do is, uh, they'll rent off of the, the landlord. So in, in this case, Geos rented off of, uh, Leo Palace and they paid Leo Palace, uh, X amount of money, the, the 40,000 yen to pay for the original rent and then took 80,000 yen a month off my salary. Uh, so in that sense, you know, as a broker, from a broker standpoint, there's nothing you can do with corporate housing in that sense. Um, and whether you think that's fair or not, who knows? Um, you know, it, there was definitely added value for me at the time being a complete newbie to Japan, couldn't speak a lick of Japanese to have lodging available there from day one. Um, so whether, whether or not you think it's fair, I mean, I thought they were taking a bit much when I completely got my head wrapped around the situation, but you know, up to them. Is that a standard thing? I mean, if you work for any of these companies, big companies, is it pretty standard that they're going to get something for your for having the apartment there for you? Corporate housing in Japan is always a money maker for the company itself in one way, shape, or form or another, and that's not limited to just a kaiwa uh, or yeah. English teaching. Um, that's across all industries. I mean, you know, there's there's Canon dormitories. There's um, uh, you know, every major, every large Japanese company, Tepco has dormitories, um, you know, for corporate housing. So it's not just limited. It's, it's not just limited to, um, English teaching professions, but, um, is it standard? It used to be very much so. Um, but now more and more it's the Japanese side has changed. Um, so Japanese people are much more comfortable going out and getting their own property, uh, to -hmm. live in. And for foreign people who are offered, a corporate dormitory or a corporate housing thing. I mean, that's still very much, uh, and that's still very much there. So it, it would be, it would be standard now with big English school chains. Um, but that again is changing as well. So, yeah. And just to the other side of the coin, you, you worked at GLS and I worked at GLS. I worked at GLS and had a company housing too. I paid, uh, you know, your mango Sam. Mm-hmm. So, you know, 400 bucks or whatever. And when I left Gios, I stayed in the same building and I had to pay Yoman Gosean. So they were not doing that for me. So as, as they say, every situation is different. So, um, and every uh, situation is different. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's yeah. it, the, every situation is different. So is it standard? <laughs> not so much. It used to be, but not so much now anymore. Um, cause yeah. there's, there's more options for people. I mean, especially foreign people too. There's way more options now, um, than even during my tenure here 15 years there's there's much more options to the for housing than, than there ever has been 
to finish that up, what about like if you're on Jet, right? And uh, you're about to start Jet and, you know, Jet gives you an apartment and here's this to Jet apartment. What if you, what, what do you, would you give advice? Do you, do you advise them not to go to company housing and try to find something themselves or just try to see what your situation is? What do you, what do you, what advice do you give there for new people coming to Japan with a company? Take the company housing. The, um, mm. cause you've got, you know, you, whether you like it or not, um, you've at least got a roof over your head. Um, if you're outside of Japan and you're not working yet, then you will not be able to apply for almost any other apartment that's out there. That's so yeah. you, you need to be here. If you want to make the jump, then you need to stay, you need to be here working, get some paychecks under your belt so that you can prove that you're employed to the landlord of the property that you end up liking. Um, mm. but that's going to mean, you know, three months at least, and mm. you're going to need a roof over your head. So take the company housing for sure. Any advice to get, you know, you know, sometimes you got to pay for this kind of, you know, you got to pay your deposit for the apartment. You got to pay for cleaning costs and everything like that. Uh, is there any way you actually get that back? I know it's really pretty uh, not common thing to get that back, right? So any kind of advice to make sure you have a chance to get that back? Deposits are the only thing that are going to come back. The cleaning fee is an automatic deduction, which is usually it's about a thousand yen to 1500 yen per square meter. So mm -hmm. if you have a 30 square meter apartment, then expect to have 30,000 yen taken off of the apartment for a cleaning fee. Um, to get the rest of the deposit back, then, you know, document every single nick and scratch uh, that was that is that is in the apartment when you go in and have the property manager sign off on it. Then two years later, when you go and move out, you've got you know, this, this, um, list of things that were wrong when you got there and you're only going to be responsible for the, the nicks and scrapes that you did while you were living in the apartment. Do, do you, uh, advise taking, some people say take pictures of everything. Is that what you're talking about? Yes. And, uh, you can, you'd even go a step further and get, uh, a layout on an A4 piece of paper of the unit and mark where in this unit that this nick and scratch is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then that, okay. And then you would have the property manager sign it at the beginning, at the beginning. Okay. Is that normal practice? They will kind of look at you kind of sideways when you hey, like, hey, can you sign on this? Or is it standard fare for you? It, it, it's standard fare. Um, if the property manager does look at you sideways, then they're probably angling to get you on the um, when you leave the apartment for that deposit. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, for example, like, you know, there's a pen mark. I know one company, I can't say their name, but the, I know one company who their standard method of operation is if there's like a tiny little nick on, on, on the wall, then they'll charge you for replacing the whole wallpaper of the apartment. <laughs> and then, and that it, and then you got to try and, you know, and then you got to try it because their logic is, well, if I change only one wall, then, you know, due to natural discoloration, um, then I'm going to have two different shades of white wallpaper in the unit so if i've got to replace one little piece of the wallpaper then i got to redo the whole thing to keep it consistent that's their logic wow is there any kind of i guess to someone to kind of wrap it up here uh, any kind of stuff we should look out for i mean i know you probably recommend getting a broker of course that's kind of the easiest way but is there anything as like individuals trying to find housing in japan that we should look out for things to be wary of or just be cognizant of when we're trying to find a place to live lots and lots um if you're talking about the contract uh, on a contract level, uh, mm. a very long notice period to end that contract is something that's a bit of a red flag. So standards about a 30 day notice from the tenant side to, to be able to get out of a contract. Um, there are some that say 60 days. 
which is okay. But if you see anything above 60 days, like it's like a 90 day notice period or even longer, then I would recommend not signing it. Um, or at least negotiating that down. Um, look at the history of the property. Um, if you can, I mean, this is always the hardest thing. Even Japanese people have hardest thing, have hard troubles here. Um, Google the building name in Japanese and see what comes up. Get a Japanese friend and Google the building name to see if there's any news articles to see if there was any deaths, uh, or if there was any crimes that happened that made it to the news, uh, at that property. Um, because if that's the case, then you, then you can negotiate pretty heavily on, on your terms and conditions signing the lease. Yeah. I was going to ask about what that matters, but yeah, that's a big negative for Japanese people, right? There was a death there and you can use that to your advantage since, well, I'm assuming you don't care about death in the department, right? Depends on what happens. I mean, me personally, I mean, if, if it was natural causes, I probably wouldn't mind. Um, because then you, you know, the savings are there. It's a tangible thing. Um, if it was a gruesome murder, that that and that happened. Then I'm then I might be a little wary of going into that particular unit myself. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the um, the 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 I don't want to say cool thing, but the the unique thing about these they're, they're called jikobuken and um, accident properties, right? Um, yeah. Residential real estate. You've got 127 million people in the country. You know death happens. Okay. It's a, it happens. And it's not just Tokyo. It's, it's everywhere in the world. This happens. How residential real estate in this country deals with it is, um, no one can, no one can say to the, the only person who can pronounce, uh, the only person who's legally authorized to pronounce people dead is the doctor at the hospital. So how that translates into accidental properties here in, in Japan is that there was a, the way it's explained to you by the real estate company is that there was an accident here uh, in this building, uh, but the person died at the hospital. So the, mm, so the okay. person the person had an accident, but they died at the hospital. Um, so no one ever dies in property, according to the real estate industry. But, <laughs> okay, okay. Um, but yeah, the, the easiest way for you as a tenant to kind of look up that fact and, and just, is just Google the name of the building in Japanese. If something particularly gruesome happened there or something particularly heinous happened there, um, there would be a ton of news articles about it. Um, and that, and that PR doesn't go away. So that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, it's cool. So yeah, I learned a lot this, for the, for, thanks for taking your time to uh, talk to me here today. Um, I guess kind of final, what kind of final advice would you give people that are, you know, kind of newer to Japan and want to find a job that's not teaching, what kind of advice would you give them? Or is it just summed up with learn Japanese? Learn Japanese. Learn Japanese. <laughs> I mean, learn Japanese, not only to interface with the host culture better, but your network is going to grow. If, if you're making Japanese friends, your network will grow exponentially faster if you're making Japanese friends. And, you know, your network is where you're going to find the best opportunities. Um, mm -hmm. I happened to luck out and find something that was, that was pretty good online. Um, but it, you know, if, if you speak Japanese, you're making Japanese friends. And in addition to foreign friends, um, then your network is just going to be that much bigger. And the chances of you coming into an opportunity that you really like, um, is going to grow as well. Imagine you came here and you really like video games and you really wanted to work in the video game industry in, in whatever capacity you were just in love with video games. You're going to find opportunities by getting to know Japanese people who work in that industry. Mm -hmm. And the only way you're going to be able to have any meaningful connection with them is if you speak Japanese. For sure. Yeah. Um, I guess what does the future hold for you? Are you going to kind of keep staying in Japan for the, you know, indefinitely or what do you, what do you think about that in that side of things? 
Well, I'm, I'm coming to the reckoning for myself that uh, I'll probably always have some connection to Japan economically. Um, so, but what I, what I kind of imagine myself doing is maybe spending, you know, four months here, four months back in Canada, four months somewhere else, you know, and kind of, you know, building enough businesses, um, and building up, uh, my financial ability to be able to, to, to have that lifestyle. Uh, but I don't ever see Japan given the amount of time I've invested here and the amount of time I've still got yet, le- you know, yet left to invest. I don't see Japan ever going away for myself. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. So cool. Well, Adam, thanks for stopping by today. Uh, Housing Japan. I'll send everyone. Obviously, you're only in Tokyo, though. So uh, if you want to use- speak with Adam here, you have to be in Tokyo, right? That's correct. Central Tokyo, uh, exactly. Yeah, it's Central Tokyo, only the major five wards. Um, and to be honest, leasing is is we don't really do anything uh, uh, under two hundred thousand yen a month. But what I can offer is um, there's another great site called realestate.co.jp. Mm-hmm. And that is has loads of options for everybody of all budget levels by uh, English speaking brokers. Um, cool. Nationwide, they have a lot more information in Tokyo than the other cities and the other parts of Japan. But that's go go there um, to to find your your all around real estate leasing information for Japan. Cool. Okay, so I'll definitely send people there. And uh, yeah, thanks for your time, Adam. It was really great to talk to you. I mean, you've had a successful career in Japan so far, so I'm sure you'll keep that going in the future. But uh, yeah, good luck to you, my friend. Thank you very much, and fingers crossed. And good luck to everybody out there in your Japan journey too. Thanks for listening to the Inside Japan podcast. To learn more about having more fun while working in Japan, head to altinsider.com. To find your first or next job in Japan, head to jobsinjapan.com and sign up today. And be sure to check back often as you never know when your next job will go online.